as health professionals, you're busy enough as it is, professionally and personally. But on top of all those commitments, there's no escaping it. You've got to maintain your education. You've got to keep up those CPD points. You probably know there are a bunch of ways you can get your CPD points through on-the-job training, attending conferences, off-site courses, and a bunch of other online resources. But what about social media? Can you earn points through platforms like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube? Up until now, there's never really been anything like that in terms of health education. But my next guest, Dr. Chris Payton, is set on changing a lot of that with their social education platform called Edify. Let's learn all about it, Team Health Tech, and make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Dr. Chris Payton. He's an emergency doctor with a medical career with a difference. He's combining his time in trauma, emergency, and the business world. He's an emergency physician and the founder of Edify. Edify is an education marketplace for health professionals utilizing artificial intelligence and the wisdom of the crowd to help users create their own bespoke journey. Hey, Chris, how are you going? Not too bad, Pete. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. I'd love to learn a bit more about what you're doing and also some of your own experiences too, because you've got some great stories to share, no doubt. But I might hand it over to you firstly to introduce yourself a little bit more and tell us a bit about your story, if that's okay. I've been a doctor now for over 10 years. And so for those 10 years, I've been trying to straddle between working as much as I can to pay the bills in emergency departments all around Western Australia. But at the same time, I've always had this passion, this drive to look at building new businesses and especially education businesses in the tech space. And so Coming over to Australia, I find there was a lot of opportunity to do that. I've met a lot of interesting sort of doctors and nurses and generally health professionals that have helped me along the way. And so with our latest platform that we'll talk about, I'm sure a wee bit later on, Edeofy, that's a combination of the last 10 years of all the conversations I've had, all the experience I've had building these sort of platforms and trying to put it together into one space or one platform that I hope will have a big impact on health and education around the world. Love it. You mentioned there's a few different platforms and a few different experiences you've had through education. Tell us about the journey that you've had up until this point a little bit more and some of those things you've learned. I suppose I always talk about why risk failure. That's what really drives most of my decisions. Really interesting when I started looking about how to move into tech ventures in the first place. I wanted to try and understand what actually drives me to do any of these things. And, and it's something I suppose most health professionals can relate to. We all have a purpose or a reason that we did our medical degree or nursing degree or, or whatever else that you did to get you to where you are at the moment. And in terms of that, it's that why, that purpose. And I remember reading a really interesting book years ago by a guy called Simon Sinek, who does some fantastic TED Talks, and I'm sure you can put a link to this podcast. But I was really interested in this whole idea of your why, your purpose, what gets you out of bed in the morning. And so more than anything else, when I was younger, I really wanted to try and understand that because I knew that my why was to help as many people as possible. And so that's what put me into doing my medical degree in the first place. As my career progressed, it was obvious that I could only do so much working one-on-one -on -one with patients. And 
looking around, I thought, well, the best way to do this is to build ventures and especially tech because it's infinitely scalable if we do it right. And so trying to build those tech ventures that have the biggest impact to the most amount of people. And what I realized was to have the biggest impact on patients, you had to step back one and, and have an impact on the doctors and nurses and health professionals that are actually out there treating people. And so my why has really pushed me for the last 10 years to do all the things that we've done. So when we're asking that question at the start, that why risk failure, then it comes down to what risks I was and anybody else who's an entrepreneur who's willing to make those things happen, right? The challenge with being a health professional and being a doctor is we don't particularly like risk. We try and reduce it all the time. We try and make processes and protocols and procedures so that we all follow a common path and that common path means that it's a good outcome for the patient. I think the challenge with that is we can become a bit risk averse. And certainly when becoming an entrepreneur, you have to be okay with risk. And in our professional lives, risk is not okay. We would never want to do anything that puts the patient at risk in, in any way, shape or form. But being an entrepreneur means you have to have an opposite mindset to that. And so what I find challenging the whole way through is trying to balance this on one side, trying to make sure that in hospital, we're as risk averse as possible. On the other side, though, in my entrepreneurial life, I have to be okay with taking risks. And I suppose for anybody trying to be an entrepreneur, especially in the medical space, you're trying to balance that whole concept of what risks you're willing to take. What does that mean at the end of the day? Well, it means that you're going to fail. And in terms of failure, it's not something that we're particularly okay with. Certainly as a doctor, failure for us is, and for most health professionals, is, is relatively unacceptable because failure means that the likelihood is you're going to injure or not optimally treat your patient and somebody might end up getting sicker or end up getting hurt. And so we don't like to talk about failure. And part of that means that sometimes we're probably not as happy with putting up our hands and saying, I didn't do that right, or I could have done that better. But again, in terms of being an entrepreneur, that mindset is very different. You have to fail. You have to try and push the envelope because those failures then make you better. And so in medicine, what I found is, is learning from your colleagues and learning from books and from analytics, I suppose, and from data and from people who have done it before and studies. That's how we learn. As an entrepreneur, especially when you're trying to push the envelope and do new things, you have to fail by yourself. You have to be okay with that. And sometimes that's pretty difficult. Sometimes picking yourself up after you've done something or you've cost yourself money or time can be very frustrating. And so with those three words, those three words have driven me the whole way through because if I fail, then I need to have my why or my purpose to drive me through that and get up the next day and really push ahead again. And that's been the biggest challenge along the way, especially living two lives, one uh, in emergency and the other being an entrepreneur. Yeah, you've got to drive two different vehicles, right? And there's two different mindsets at play there. But that's a really good scene setter, I think, that phrase, why risk failure? It could certainly drive a lot of entrepreneurs, particularly working within the health space. It makes me think as well, clinicians that wouldn't call themselves entrepreneurs necessarily, but potentially looking at implementing newer technologies within their practice or utilizing tools in different ways. Do you think there's some applicability of that particular theme in there or...? I think so. I think, you know, I work for the health service and we have to implement new technology because if we don't, then we fall behind. And effectively, we aren't 
doing our patients any justice. But the challenge is we have to implement them in ways that minimize as much as possible any interruption to patient care. But that can be challenging. It can be challenging to introduce all these new systems. And I think that's why in health, we sometimes lag behind the latest innovations because there is a fear there. There is a fear that we do something to that will affect our careers or affect our patients. And that's certainly not anything that any of us set out to do, but it can be something that happens on this journey. So we do need to be careful, but I think there are ways of implementing these things. And there's certainly so many interesting tech platforms and and ventures out there that it would be, I think in the long term, we'll find it be detrimental to our patients and to their health if we don't start looking at implementing these things as we go along. No, I love it. I'm just thinking about what you're working on right now. Tell us a little bit more about it, what it is, who is it for, and what problems it solves. Well, I'll start back, I suppose, my journey through education. We started with a platform called Meducate. So Meducate was an exam preparation site that I developed with some emergency consultants years ago when I was a resident. I come from the UK. I'd done my heart one exams in surgery over there, and I used an exam preparation site, and that's what helped me get through. And when I came to Australia, I realized that we didn't have something similar here. And especially my emergency colleagues, you spend all day at work and then you're trying to motivate yourself to actually do some study at home and opening a textbook can be pretty boring and pretty daunting at 11 o'clock at night when you just finish a shift. So what we wanted to do is build a platform that would stimulate you, would encourage you to want to study. And I think what we've done through iMeducate certainly is build an exam preparation site all around multi-choice questions, but it forces you to think. So effectively, we have thousands of multi-choice questions all written by consultants, but it forces you to actually take time to think about your answer, and then we give you an explanation afterwards. It's certainly not rocket science. It's being done in other parts of the world. But we're very proud that we've had almost 20,000 doctors through the platform. Pretty much most emergency trainees have used us on their journey, and that's been very exciting. And so we've expanded that, or we will be expanding it into other specialties over the next year. But it's great to get the feedback and to see all of these people who have used our platform and go on to be senior registrars and consultants at the end of it. That's been very rewarding. Oh, that sounds amazing. And so then that's brought you on to where you are now? Yeah, the biggest thing we realized is that if we build a platform like iMeducate or a lot of other educational platforms out there, that relies heavily on us creating content. And that by itself is very self-limiting. What I love about social and especially sites like YouTube or Instagram is content comes from all people everywhere. And so what we thought was if we built a platform by looking at all the ways that doctors and nurses and health professionals in general share education online, and we pull the best bits into one platform and we track everything you do from a CPD point of view, then we could be adding real value. Not only could we help people get their message out and teach in this space, but we could effectively let people on the other side create a bespoke learning journey. So you might see a video for five minutes from somebody in Australia and then read an article or a PDF from somebody in the UK, then do a multi-choice question that somebody in the US has put on the site. And so with that and with the use of AI at the back end, we can help you start to create that very bespoke learning journey. So you're not just doing a course that somebody else put together because they say these are the things that you need to know. Let's do micro bits of education and make it relevant to you. Because I know myself at two o'clock in the morning when I'm on call, I might only have time to watch a couple of minutes at a time and then something comes in and so I get taken away. But also, in those, if I'm watching a YouTube video for four or five minutes, then I never remember that. So when it comes to actually putting evidence together of what 
CPD have done at the end of the year. I can't remember all the things that I've looked at. So what we're trying to do is build a community to make it easier for other people to do that. Thinking from the perspective of some more traditional healthcare providers or those that have not experienced learning through social media might be thinking that learning through social media type platforms or those micro learnings might be a bunch of codswallops. You talked about it already a little bit about micro learning, having the time to pick, but can you actually take the learnings from these sessions and apply them and build on them? And if you're just taking a minute or two here or there? I think so, because effectively you're going to learn and search by what you've seen during your day. And again, coming back to myself, and maybe I'm different from everybody else out there, but I tend to learn in short, sharp bursts, and I need to feel like I'm constantly engaged with what I'm learning. If you give me a 20-minute or half an hour lecture on something and you've recorded it and put it online, the likelihood is that I'm going to drop out very quickly. And I think there's a lot of evidence. I believe that it's edX in the U.S did some research around this and realized that videos over five or six minutes long, the drop-off rate in the first 3% of the video was massive because people, you know yourself, and again, maybe I'm different, but you look at a YouTube video and it comes up and it says 20 minutes, then I'm gone. That's too long for me. Maybe it's just the way my brain works, Pete. Maybe I'm the exception, but I think that tailoring it to the social experience now, because that's what people are used to. People are used to seeing an image on Instagram and flicking through. They're used to seeing short YouTube videos maybe answering one MCQ at a time and then moving on. I think that's the way learning's going with the younger generation and we really have to tap into that. Thinking about building that particular platform and the process around building technology for healthcare, is there anything you would have done differently or any advice you give to others creating technology solutions within the healthcare setting? I'd probably do all of it differently, Pete, if, I, if okay. I'm perfectly honest. Uh, I've made, as we talked about before, with risks and failure, I have failed more times than I'd be happy to admit. With our first platform, I'm Educate, we built the site and we spent, for the first time, we spent about $50,000. And that was between a couple of us, so no small amount of money, especially when you're a resident medical officer. And it was basically every dollar that you had went into it. And at the end of that, what we got was nothing short of a disaster. And so... What I learned from that experience is picking your developers first is incredibly important because the biggest thing that I can say to anybody who wants to build an app or has an idea for anything, take your time and find somebody who has built something similar to what you want before. Because, okay, maybe the site that you're building is very unique in the space that you're doing or you're putting things together uniquely, but especially in terms of building databases and looking at artificial intelligence. Other people have built these things before. They've just built them in a different way that suits a different industry, potentially. All developers will tell you that they can do it. Finding a developer that actually can is somewhat difficult. Yeah, definitely. That is good advice. And I think, too, about you on your journey, just thinking around advice and your particular circumstance being both clinical and also creating solutions at the same time. I know many clinicians, whether they're doctors or just healthcare professionals in general, there's an interesting conversation around, do they maintain the clinical aspect of their life or do they go all in and burn the boats and just build technology themselves? So you've obviously taken the approach that you can work 48 hours a day. How do you go about managing that and keeping that sustainable? I think it's a very good question. I think in the long term, we're probably going to end up seeing more and more interest in effectively digital medicine. I think we've got colleges of surgery and colleges of physicians and emergency medicine, and certainly 
what I did was I worked in emergency and I work as an SMP, so I'm not a part of the emergency college, but I spent most of my life in emergency departments, especially in rural Australia. I do that to maintain my clinical ability, but also to pay for the development of these ventures. One thing I would suggest is in the long term, when we have more recognition and we realize how important tech is in the health of the population moving forward, I think we're going to see more colleges and more education pointing you that way from an early stage after you leave medical school, but we're not there yet. And so for anybody coming into it, I still think you're going to have to go through that balancing act. The only thing I would suggest to people is don't start it too late because by the time if you start your surgical training and you might be five to ten years down the line before you qualify as a consultant then you want to go out and start getting a consultant job and you want to maybe start your private practice and by the time you actually get around to thinking about these things you've got so many other things happening in your life that it's almost too late so what i would suggest is have an early interest maybe at medical school go out and find people who are building it and just ask to be part of it. That's how I got started. And I suppose find somebody like me and learn off my failures so that you don't make them yourself. I love it. It's certainly an interesting future ahead. And from our previous discussions, I know you're involved in some other projects as well, or at least the use of technology in other different ways within healthcare. Did you want to tell us a little bit more about those? Yeah, well, it's the same thing. I keep going out there to build my network to find other people who believe what I believe and and how important technology will be. I found recently a really interesting lady in Perth who is part of a company that built AI-powered smart glasses. And now she's looking at adding those into both from a teaching point of view, so surgeons who are wanting to teach the next generation coming through, they wear the glasses during surgery. This records the whole operation. You can see it in real time, but also because it's got a heads-up display built into the glasses, because it uses augmented reality, then we're starting to see some really interesting uses for that technology. So from a surgery point of view, if you want to do a checklist, it can appear on your heads-up display. But from an augmented reality point of view, if you're looking at an anatomy of a specific area and you lost your way, and you know, especially for trainees, you want to refresh yourself, then it's as easy as looking to one side or the other to get a sort of anatomical 3D model. And I think that's really cool. That's where we can actually use it and implement it in everyday medicine. The other thing that I really like about it is the applications for telehealth. If I'm a nurse or a junior doctor in a space in the middle of Western Australia that's miles away from any help, but I have a call center where I have a very senior emergency physician or senior surgeon or whoever that might be on the other end of the phone, being able to wear this and have somebody see what I see and have somebody be part of that interaction is a big improvement than just that person watching from a camera at the side of the room. I think this is where we need to go with technology. We just need to keep embracing it and finding ways to integrate this into our day-to-day lives as doctors. Yeah, it's interesting too, particularly both augmented reality and the use of the glasses. And I guess those things go together and then how they tie in together with all these other technologies. Five or six years ago, I forget how long ago, there was that big peak in interest in Google Glass and all those types of things. But I think they lacked a practical application and everything. But I think with COVID and then the progression of everything within telehealth, we've kind of all got this permission now to be able to explore some of these technologies that have the certain potential. And like you say, that's quite a specific good use case in a surgical sense where you physically need to do a lot of things and could do with that guidance. Augmented reality sounds like a pretty cool idea. So that's pretty exciting to be part of those types of um, projects. 
With the augmented reality, the first time I saw it was looking at engine diagnostics. They had the engine diagnostics of, I think it was a Boeing 737, but you could look to your left and see that engine taking apart while you're looking at it straight ahead of you. From that point of view, that giving that sort of 3D model where you can pull it apart while you're actively working on something, I think that's very cool. And I think there are massive implications for what we do generally in health. Yeah. Could do a lot more with augmented reality than just put an elephant in your house like I do with my kids to keep them entertained when they look at my phone. But that's, that's it. an aside. That's it. Excellent. <laughs> hey, you talked about doing the career to be able to help raise the money in the early stages for your ventures in terms of generating an income to help build your platform. But you're at a time now where you're looking at scaling even further and starting to raise capital. Tell us a little bit more about that journey and what you're about to undertake. What we found is raising money in the venture market in Australia isn't the same as, say, potentially America. And so there just isn't the funds readily available when you're trying to get something off the ground or actually to build an MVP or a prototype on something. So we funded it ourselves for the last two years, and we've had about three or 400 people through the platform now, lots of us giving us feedback and testing it. But we understand that the next step especially if it's a social platform, we want as many people both creating content on the platform as well as viewing it. And so we're at that stage now where we put it out there, we've done our MVP, we're very happy with all the feedback that we've got, but the next stage is actually to push it out there on a big scale with lots of seed content and get people on. But to do that, that's something, unfortunately, that I wouldn't be able to fund myself. So we've gone down the crowdfunding route. This is the first time I've gone down crowdfunding. We've got some great partners who have done it before, and we're using a platform called Birchill. And Birchill, I think, is the biggest crowdfunding platform in Australia, certainly by volume of transactions that they've done on the platform. And there is from the 20th of April, they've launched our expression of interest campaign, and that runs for three weeks. And then we do three weeks after that of our crowdfunding raise, which will be really exciting for us because we want to find people who believe what we believe. We want to find people who can see that there's a need for change and growth in medical education and want to be part of our journey because at the end of the day, we want to do well, but we want people to come along on that ride with us. And so getting that investment through crowdfunding will really take us to that next level. I'm quite familiar with the platform virtual, not just because it's got a similar name to my last name, but because it's got no relation to me whatsoever. But the concept of crowdfunding equity is really interesting to me because when you say crowdfunding, people often think about a fundraiser or something like a GoFundMe or something, but this is actually crowdfunding to buy equity within the business. With crowdfunding in Australia, sometimes you can buy a specific product or service. With us, and certainly with the crowdfunding platforms that I know of here, it's all about investment in the business. So effectively, it's that early seed capital, and that seems to be where it works really well in Australia, where you've got an idea, you've made it into something, and now is the time that you want to push it out there to the world and scale it. And in order to do that, you want to attract investment. And that investment then means that everybody who puts money into it gets a share in our company. And I think that's really cool because then we all get to go on the journey together. And I love how it just eliminates a lot of the barriers to entry for people that want to invest within a company or a cause or a passion that's interesting to them. They can do that as an individual and they can get involved. I personally got involved with another company outside of healthcare through that same platform. And this is just me, me even before you and I spoke, Chris, a couple of months ago, I think last year, I've experienced the whole virtual platform before and it's quite easy to use. So I think it's a really good fit, particularly for a platform like yourself, which is aligned quite nicely with the concept of socials engagement and everything. It seems like a good fit. So we'll make sure we put the contact details or at least the link for everybody to check out when that becomes available in the show notes from this episode for people to click through. And I'm sure we'll talk 
talk about it more within the Talking Health Tech community too, as there would no doubt be some interested people there to learn more from you. But there's also that EOI process through the virtual platform too, did you say? Yeah, so I managed to rope my father-in-law into being the face of comedy on my video as our pitch video. And so if you wanted to check out me giving him an interesting exam, you should at least check out the pitch video that we've put together for investors on the platform whenever that goes live. Looking forward to seeing that. Just to close things out, Chris, paint the picture for us for the future and what's ahead with EDFI and any other project you're working on. EDFI has has been something I've been trying to build for the last 10 years, and I'm so excited that we finally got there. We see it as the new way of medical education, and probably more than that, we think that we can go out to other professions after we get good at building this for health. We really see that this is the future of education, and if we can get it off the ground here in Australia, then really the sky's the limit we want to expand globally, because at the end of the day, anatomy is anatomy, no matter what part of the world you're in, there are obviously some changes in terms of specific medicines and specific diseases in different countries, but effectively people are people. And so we're trying to grow this and expand this so that it benefits people all over the world. And that's the exciting bit, right? That's what gets me up in the morning. Love it, Chris. Well, thank you so much for providing those insights and the learnings and your experience and some quite open and frank feedback you provide, which I'm sure will help many others that have heard this episode. So thank you for sharing that. Like I said, I'll put some contact details for yourself, for EDFI, for everything else that you're working on within the show notes of this episode. So do check them out if you're interested. Chris, good luck and thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen. Listener.